Hello and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rice, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to explore some of the more absurd beliefs concerning the fairy folk of Wales and look at ways that you can protect yourself and, more importantly, your children from these mischievous, sometimes malevolent creatures. And these techniques, should you choose to use them, and I would not recommend using all of them, can also be used to repel such supernatural creatures as vampires, ghosts and demons. And so, to begin at the beginning. And the folklore on this episode comes to us courtesy of my favourite American folklorist who toured Wales, good old Wood Sykes, who wrote extensively about the fairy folk, or the Tulloth Tig, as we call them here in Wales, which Sykes tells us had a fatal admiration. The fairy folk had a weakness. There was one thing more than any other that they had a fatal admiration for, and that was lovely children. The Tulloth Tig, the fairy folk of Wales, had a weakness for lovely children. And that is why we are told there is an abundance of folklore concerning infants who have been stolen from their cradles with a Tulloth Tig leaving one of their own in its place. So there is an abundance of tales in which these fairy folks have sneaked into people's houses and replaced human babies with their own mischievous babies. And possibly the most famous variety of fairy folk to do this, and one that I've spoken about a number of times on this podcast, are the changelings, or as Sykes tells us they are known in Wales, a plentyn newid, the change child. The changelings are well known for swapping human babies for their own. But on this episode, I don't want to dwell on the changelings again, because, to quote this class of story, these tales of children being stolen, is not always confined to the case of the plentyn newid, to the changeling, and another type of fairy folk known to steal babies, although maybe indirectly, is the household fairy, or the boobachod, as they are known in Wales. Because the household fairies, we are told, have been known to invite they're extremely noisy friends and acquaintances round to your house for a party. So if you find yourself at home and you hear like the sound of a lot of people having a good time, they're having a party that you haven't been invited to, even though it's in your house, then maybe, just maybe, you've got a household fairy who's made your home their home and they've invited everyone around to get merry and this is when you need to be on your guard because as a result babies do get mysteriously carried away and when i say carried away i mean they get taken away against their will i don't mean they they get carried away having a good time at the fairy party although maybe they do that as well but this is very much a danger time for infants in the house these parties become baby stealing parties if you will but there have been instances where the fairies have been caught in the act, stopped in their tracks. And it is thanks to these instances that we now have this folklore that can be used to protect children in the future from the little folk. 
And to quote, the Welsh fairies have several times been detected in the act of carrying off a child. And in these cases, if the mother has been sufficiently energetic in her objections, they have been forced to abandon their purpose. So, if the mother is sufficiently energetic in her objections, which I am assuming means if she is sufficiently energetic in both a physical and a verbal sense, if she kicks and punches and swears and screams at them, they might abandon the kidnapping. They might give up trying to steal the baby. And we have an account of one such woman who did encounter the fairy folk. And that was the wonderfully named woman... Dazzy Walter. Yes, Dazzy Walter, which sounds like a, a great name for a children's entertainer or something, or a character of Phoenix Knights. But Dazzy Walter was the wife of the equally wonderfully named Abel Walter, who lived in the Ebu Var Valley. And one night, in her husband's absence, she awoke in her bed and found her baby was not at her side. Her baby had disappeared while she slept. And in great fright, she sought for it. And luckily, she found it just in the nick of time, but not anywhere she would have expected to find a baby. It was above her. It was on the boards above the bed. And she reached out, she grabbed it, she caught that baby, and just in time, because that is as far as this swarm of fairy folk had managed to carry the baby. They hadn't left the property yet, but they were certainly on their way, because that was as far as the fairies had succeeded in carrying it. So they were taking the baby upwards and outwards until she got hold of it. And in this case, her physical strength saved the baby by snatching it back out of their clutches. Now, another lady in the same valley, there must be something about this area around Ebu Vale, something in the water that attracts the baby-stealing fairies. But another lady, whose name was Jeanette Francis, was also in bed one night when she felt her infant son being taken from her arms, whereupon she screamed and hung on, and as she phrased it, God and me were too hard for them. God and me were too hard for them. So, in this case, again, it comes down to strength, as well as a little bit of screaming, although maybe not screaming curse words, because this time she was calling on God's assistance, or she certainly credited God with giving her the strength to save and to protect her child, which is something I'm sure most of the God-fearing people of Wales would have done at the time. And in an appropriate little footnote to this tale... This son, this boy that Jeanette Francis had saved, and God had saved, of course, they were a tag team. This boy that Jeanette and God had saved subsequently grew up and became a famous preacher. So not only did God save this child from the fairy folk, the Lord then seemingly guided his future career choice. Now, so far we've looked at examples of stopping the fairies in their tracks. If you happen to wake up in time and see them sneaking off with your children, you can catch them and get your baby back with enough strength and enough shouting. But for those who want to be prepared in advance, instead of scrambling after them at the last minute when they're halfway out the window, there are special exorcisms and preventative measures that can be used to interfere with the fairies in their quest for infants. But 
this is one of those moments on this podcast where I have to stress, no, insist that you do not follow this advice ever. I haven't had to do this for a few episodes, but I'm doing it now. Please, please, please remember, this is 19th century folklore. Well, it's not even that. It's folklore that was recorded in the 19th century. Who knows how old it is? It probably won't work. Please do not try this form of exorcism at home, no matter how scared you are of the fairy folk. Seriously. But to begin with, and this isn't the dangerous part, but the most significant form of protection throughout Cambria, we are told, is a general habit of piety. Yes, piety. P-I-E-T-Y. Being pious day in, day out, every day for the rest of your life will help keep the fairy folk away. And of course, that in and of itself is fine. You can do that as much as you want. Be as pious as you like. And for extra protection, any pious exclamation has value as an exorcism. So any exorcism you are trying to conduct, if you are a pious person and you make a pious exclamation, be it in the name of God, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, whatever exclamation you would like to make, then God will be on your side. But simply praying and simply invoking the Lord's name might still not be enough to keep the fairy folk away. And there is one other measure, and that is, to quote, to this end, you must and to interrupt quickly, this is the bit where I say you must not, but that's not in the quote. So return to the quote, you must put a knife. Yes, put a knife in the child's cradle when you leave it alone. And just to be on the safe side, you probably don't need me interrupting again to point out why leaving a baby unattended with a knife might be a bad idea. But just in case, it's a bad idea. But to continue, and failing that, you could lay a pair of tongs across the cradle, slightly safer than a knife, although a pair of tongs is still an object. It's an instrument I don't think you'd want a baby playing with unsupervised. Although saying that, how many of us own pairs of tongs nowadays large enough to be put across a cradle? But to recap really quickly, being pious is the best form of defense. On top of that, you could use a pair of tongs or a knife to keep the fairies away. And regular listeners might recall that I've spoken about using knives and the danger of carrying knives before, because they can also be used to protect you from ghosts and all manner of supernatural creatures. Knives really are powerful weapons in Welsh folklore for fighting anything that might be coming to get you or your family. And one final preventative measure, one total failsafe that works every time and does not involve sharp objects, and again highlights how important Christianity was to the people of Wales back in the day. And this works against all manner of supernatural predators, be they vampires, be they demons, or be they fairies. All you need to do to protect yourself and your nearest and dearest is baptise them. A good old-fashioned Baptism cures everything. And I think if we scratch beneath the surface here and look a little bit deeper at what's going on, it does suggest that bad things happen to children who are unbaptized when these terrible forces out there in the darkness come 
come to carry them away or to do some other kind of harm. It happens to the children who are not blessed in the eyes of God. And if we are going to point the blame here, then I guess we could blame the parents. It's not the children's fault, but if the parents had been good Christians and if they'd taken care to baptise their children, then a higher power would have been looking out for them. And as we're getting all biblical on this episode all of a sudden, Sykes does also mention an other form of protection that also uses the power of God, but this time not in Wales, but over the water in Germany, more specifically in the Friesland district of Lower Saxony, where it is considered a protection against the fairies who deal in changelings to lay a Bible under the child's pillow. And elsewhere in Germany, in the Thuringia state, I hope I've pronounced that correctly, German friends, which is in central Germany, where it is deemed an infallible preventative to hang the father's breeches against the wall. So to protect your household from fairies, you hang the father's breeches against the wall. And one problem with this piece of folklore nowadays is that I imagine there aren't many of us who wear breeches nowadays. They aren't the most popular items of clothing in the 21st century. I imagine there are some people listening right now who aren't sure what breeches are. And very briefly, just in case you don't know, breeches are what men and women as well, of course, would wear and still wear today in some cases on their legs and they would reach from the waist down to about where the knee is where they'd be attached to stockings or long socks pulled up to the bottom of them and i guess the equivalent now would be hanging the father's shorts or trousers against the wall or for my north american listeners the father's pants against the wall but that means something totally different in britain please don't go hanging your pants against the wall on british soil now at this point you might be starting to think this is all sounding a little bit ridiculous even by my standards this is all getting a little bit daft what the heck was sykes on about writing down this stuff well sykes you'll be glad to know even back in the 19th century was not entirely taken in by all of this in fact while he didn't pass comment on the whole knife thing that seemingly was fine but the breaches that was going a little bit too far. And to quote, Sykes says, anything more trivial than this, as a matter for the consideration of grave and scholarly men, one could hardly imagine. So as far as Sykes is concerned, grave and scholarly men, by which we can assume he means people like himself and the kind of clever people who would read his works. And of course, that's not just men. Grave and scholarly people should not usually be wasting their time with such matters, should not usually be talking about hanging pants on the wall. But it is in precisely these trivial or seemingly trivial details that the student of comparative folklore finds they are most extraordinary indices. So the point Sykes is making here with some quite flowery language is that such a piece of seemingly nonsense folklore in isolation 
in and of itself isn't worth much. If it was only believed by a handful of people in central Germany, it's an interesting piece of local folklore, a very interesting piece of local folklore. I love it. But if it crops up in other places in the world, possibly independently, then it becomes far more interesting. And Sykes does tell us that it is found again and again in other countries, including Scotland. Yes, Scottish folklore also recommends hanging your breeches or your father's breeches, I presume, on the wall. And in China, so beyond Europe, in China, and things are about to get even more confusing, so please bear with me on this one. But in China, a pair of the trousers of the child's father are put on the frame of the bedstead in such a way that the waist still hangs downwards or be lower than the legs, if you can picture that. So you're hanging the trousers over the bed in such a way that the waist is the lowest hanging part of it. And then on those trousers is stuck a piece of paper which has four words written on it. There are four words written on this piece of paper. Sadly, Sykes does not specify which four words, presumably because they aren't written in English. But these words intimate that all unfavourable influences are to go into the trousers. And I think that deserves repeating. All unfavourable influences are to go into the trousers. So anything bad should go into the trousers instead of afflicting the babe. And if I've understood this correctly, after hanging the trousers in such a complicated way that sounds a bit like origami, where you need the, the waist hanging down below the legs, you then leave a note for the fairy folk or for whatever mysterious creatures it is that you need to repel in China. Maybe it's the vampires again. Maybe it's the demons. You leave them a note that makes it quite clear that whatever mischief they were planning, that mischief should now take place inside that pair of trousers. And I'll be honest, I thought that sounded ridiculous when I wrote it down, and it sounds just as ridiculous now that I've said it aloud. So I think maybe we should quickly move on from this strange trousers and pants and breeches section. And to wrap up this episode, as we're on the subject of slightly absurd folklore, just how seriously did people take it? And just how seriously should we take it nowadays? Well, I'd like to look at two contradicting quotes from a Welsh archaeological journal. So a proper academic publication. This isn't gossip from the local pub or sensationalised newspaper headlines, but learned people's opinions that were published in the late 1800s, which is important because that's the same time Sykes was traipsing around Wales writing down all this folklore. And before I do, I should say there is a chance I might have used these quotes on a previous episode a few years ago now. It's so long ago, I'll be honest, I can't remember. And I'm kind of hoping maybe you don't remember either, unless, of course, you've binged all the episodes recently, in which case maybe you could let me know if I have or I haven't used these quotes before. But either way, I think it's a great way to wrap up this episode. And the first quote comes from a learned writer who, in 1858, declared that the traveller may now pass from one end of Wales to the other without being shocked or amused, as the case may be. 
by any of the fairy legends or popular tales which used to pass current from father to son or mother to daughter. So, in 1858, this man of words is claiming that these tales that were passed down from generation to generation, this superstitious rubbish about ghosts and fairies and whatever it might be, has all but disappeared. And if it hasn't gone entirely yet, it's only a matter of time. But in the very same publication, and quite interestingly, 18 years later, so nearly two decades after that was written, no less an authority than the president of the Cardiff Naturalist Society, in an article about the ancient stones and monuments and camps that dot the Glamorganshire countryside, he asserted that there are always fairy tales and ghost stories connected with these places. Some, though fully believed in by the inhabitants of these localities, are often of the most absurd character. In fact, the more ridiculous they are, the more they are believed in. So, according to this second authority, no, these tales have not gone away. These tales are still attached to these places. And it would seem the more absurd, the better. The more absurd the ghost story or the fairy tale, the more chance there is of it living on. And maybe that's the very reason why they have this long life. Because if you are going to tell somebody a ghost story, do you really want to tell them a dull, boring ghost story? Or do you want to tell them the craziest, the most over-the-top ghost story possible? Well, most people, I think, would go for the more exciting story. And as a result, that is the ghost story or the fairy tale or the folklore about trousers that is passed on and passed on and passed on up to the modern day where people like me come along and start recording podcasts about them. Now, as for Sykes himself, who did such a good job of recording and preserving so many of these tales, he tends to agree with that viewpoint that the more outlandish the tale, then the more common it becomes. And so, to end this episode, let us return to the man himself, who tells us that educated Europeans generally conceive that this sort of belief is extinct in their own land, or at least their own immediate section of that land which I think is a very interesting observation from Sykes. What he's saying is that for the Europeans, while they might not believe this stuff themselves, that doesn't mean there aren't people out there elsewhere who do believe in it. And to continue, he says, they accredit these educated Europeans, they accredit such degree of belief as may remain in this enlightened age to some remote part, to the south if they dwell in the north, to the north if they dwell in the south. So what Sykes is saying is that the people, these educated people who do not believe in such stories, accept that there are those who do, but whoever they are, they are in a different part of the country to them. And you can see this still happening today, as in Sykes's example. Maybe there's people in the north of whatever country you live in who think the people down south believe all this stuff. Maybe there are people in the south of whatever country you live in who believe the people up north believe this stuff. Maybe they're in the east, maybe they're in the west. But wherever they might be, the people who believe this stuff are always elsewhere. And finally, finally, to really wrap things up, to return to Wales, and Sykes does say that in Wales, the Welsh especially accredited to a previous age. 
So rather than just saying the people in the North believe it or the people in the South believe it, they are saying people from the olden days believe it. For example, people might say they believed this in the last century, in the Middle Ages, in the time of King Arthur, again and again. And I've had many stories like this on this podcast. People say this happened at some point in the past. And Sykes gives an example of one person that he spoke to himself during this time. And he says the rector of Merthyr, being an elderly man, accredits it to his youth, who says, I am old enough to remember that these tales were thoroughly believed in among country folk 40 or 50 years ago. And I think if we were to go to Merthyr today, we could also find an old person who could recall in their youth that people also believed such unbelievable stories. So while they might be 100, 150 years apart, they are both saying the same thing. When I was younger, 50, 60, 70 years ago, people believed this stuff. Now they don't. It's always in the past, but that past is always moving forward. And I imagine in 50, 60, 70 years time, people will be looking back at how people in our time, at how people today, believed that you could repel fairies with a pair of trousers. Well, you never know, somebody out there somewhere might believe it. I guess the only way we can find out for certain is if I pop down to Cardiff Bay, find the TARDIS, and do a little bit of time travelling to find out exactly what bizarre, absurd folklore makes it into the future. And on that time-travelling note, we've reached the end of another episode of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode and you haven't already, please consider hitting the subscribe button and you will never miss an episode again. And as I've mentioned, I've recorded many, 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 many episodes now about the fairy folk of Wales. Too many to list, they go back years. But the most recent one, if you wanted to work your way backwards, which isn't a bad way of doing it, was episode 110, which featured the Gwithion, the frightful fairies of the fog. As always, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can treat me to a coffee via my website, which is always very much appreciated. Or you could just leave a nice review or a nice rating. And if you'd like more ghosts and folklore, you can follow me on social media. I'm on all the main platforms. And as well as this podcast, I've also written a number of books about similar weird and wonderful subjects which are available from all good bookshops offline and on. And you can find a full list of them with links on my website where you'll also find a shiny new link to the Ghosts and Folklore merchandise page. Yes, if you've always dreamed of having a weird and wonderful t-shirt, well, now your dreams have come true. Check that out on the website. And on that note... It just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian Amrando. I've been Mark Race. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast, beaming to you from Wales to the world. And remember, the next time a fairy tries to steal your baby, you can leave the knives in the drawer and you can keep your trousers on because all you need is the word of God. Until next time, Nostar. No